The children may be dismissed. It's official. So, I'm not exactly sure about this, so we'll have to go to the source. Scott, among the many things that you thought you were stepping into in this quirky mountain church, did you really think you were going to have to turn over the pulpit to a recovering alcoholic? (laughs) Addictions. So I had a cheesy clothing story, but we got a lot of work to do, so we're going to get right into it. Um, Thank you so much, Jim, for the gracious introduction. Um, Peter is a man of change. Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Peter fell asleep in the garden. Peter denied that he was hanging out with Jesus. You know, we can follow scripture and we see Peter making all these horrible mistakes. Okay, and today we're going to talk about the first gospel message that was ever delivered, and it was delivered by, by Peter. And it's and it's just amazing. It's a it's a it is a recorded document of change. But that's not necessarily what we're going to be talking about completely today. Hopefully we're going to talk about what he had for us in store in that message. And so, who I am, my name is Chris, I'm an elder here, I've been invited uh, to preach today, you guys are stuck with me for the next few minutes. Um, at the end of the sermon last week, Scott's sermon, he, uh, he said that CB is a town of harvest, and because of this we want to, one, Look to be ready to join the Holy Spirit in what he's doing here in this church. And two, have people look at what the church is doing, be amazed, and look for answers. Look for answers. This church can do this through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what we talked about last week was that baptism of the Holy Spirit. When, when uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost... And where we're headed today is further into chapter 2, and we are going to start, and we're working on verses 14 through 41, and there's a lot of verses in there, and I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. And this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even in my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, and for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that Jesus whom you crucified. Now then, they heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's take a moment to pray over the word. Thank you, Father, uh, for giving us this word and giving us this scripture to study. We pray for your enlightenment. We pray for your wisdom, and we pray for the courage uh, to talk about this word today. And we feel blessed. In Jesus' name, we pray for these things. This was the first sermon ever recorded. We can break it into three sections. First of all, you see Peter give us a proof of Pentecost. The second section, you see proof of Jesus as Messiah. And in the third section, we see the response. A little background on the book of Acts. Luke is our author in the book of Acts. His first document is his gospel. He documented what Jesus did in his earthly ministry, his fleshly ministry. The gospel, uh, or excuse me, the, the book of Acts documents what the Holy Spirit is doing through the church. 
The book of Acts contains 23 sermons. Seven of those are by Peter and 11 of them are by Paul. Peter's first sermon is what we're contemplating today. And scholars say this is the first gospel message ever recorded. The main characters uh, in our scripture today are Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is a town in the northern part of Palestine. It gets important later on in what Peter was saying. So it's the Jesus of Nazareth that we're going to be talking about. Peter and his change. The audience are Jews in Jerusalem. And in verse 5, further up in chapter 2, it says they were dwelling there and were devout men from every nation. Scholars believe that Jerusalem were, was between 150 and 200,000 people uh, at the time this sermon was delivered. Grand Junction, just for perspective, is about 150,000 people. The primary goal of Peter's sermon is the proclamation to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Pentecost is a Jewish festival. In the message previous to this, we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The people were gathered in this place in Jerusalem and began speaking in the tongue in tongues the mighty works of God, verse 12 says. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? It says in verse 13. And Peter is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I believe, Terry Lynn, we've got verse 15 through 18 there. Peter's, Peter's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he gets up out of his chair, and he, and he says, For these people, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. These people are not drunk. These people are not on a man-made high. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues because they are delivering God's word to each other. And Joel prophesied in this. And this is Peter's first point of his sermon is to say, this is the work of God and change in, our, in their lives. And this is real. He then proceeds to move in in, in verses 22 through 23 and let everybody know that Jesus is the Messiah and this is why this change is happening. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection and his ascension are all part of God's definite plan. Hear me, God's definite plan of salvation and empowerment to further His kingdom on earth through the action of the Holy Spirit. And we see in verse 2, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. And he refers to Him as Jesus of Nazareth a number of times in the sermon to say, This is the Jesus that you know. This is Jesus of Nazareth, that guy from the hills. Remember him? He's not the Jesus from Denver. He's not the Jesus from Grand Junction. He's not the Jesus from Big Rapids, Michigan. He is the Jesus of Nazareth, and you guys know who he is. 
Number one point. Almost mockingly and sarcastically to say, you proper, proper religious people, you're so blinded by being self-righteous that you didn't even see your Messiah when he showed up in front of you. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Attested. If we study the word attested, the Greek is appendikomai, and it translates to approve, set forth, show, declare, display, prove. Show off. Webster says a test means to affirm to be true or genuine. We see it used in another verse. 1 Corinthians 4.9 reads, and, and appendicomai is used in this sentence, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, wonders, and signs. These are the miracles. The miracles that Jesus did on earth. Scripture represents over 35 miracles. And John says in verse 21-25, you will read, He did many, many more, so many that if, you were, if they were all recorded, the whole world could not contain the books. Miracles like a mute, uh, a man's speech restored in Matthew 9, man's hearing and speech restored, Matthew 7, crippled people, a lame man walks after 38 years, John 5, paralytic man healed, Matthew 9, Mark 2, Luke 5, mute and demon-possessed man healed, Matthew 12, the lepers healed, 10 people healed, Luke 17, a man healed from leprosy, Matthew 8, Mark 1. And a royal official's son remotely healed in John 4. Miracles in front of you guys. All, all this time, he's attested to you. He's been, God has been showing you that this is your Messiah through miracles. We move on to, to uh, verse 23. This Jesus, the one from Nazareth. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So it's this Jesus that was delivered up by God. In his definite plan, this application is to the entire circumstance of Jesus being crucified and being our Savior. Foreknowledge of God. The Greek word for foreknowledge is prognosis. And it means predetermination. What is known beforehand. Okay, so there's, there's a big discussion about what exactly God's foreknowledge is. And there's a way that I can look like I have foreknowledge. And here's an illustration. I could be driving down the road and see some crazy maniac pass me in his vehicle, weaving in and out of traffic, and I can be driving down the road observing this and say to my, my lovely bride, 
that, that guy, he's going to get in an accident. Okay? And then I could pick up the paper the next day, and sure enough, that guy was in an accident. I've got the foreknowledge of God, right? In that, in that illustration. But let's not confuse that type of thinking with God's type of deliberate plan and foreknowledge of Christ crucified for our sins. Because if we put that kind of thinking into God's box, suddenly Jesus was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Okay? And we put God on this balcony looking over his creation and seeing men and women making good and bad choices and seeing him know what's going to happen and actually use it just to complete his plan. So with that type of foreknowledge, Jesus went to the cross and God was just basically like scratching his head going, sorry son, Um, but you know what? I can use that to complete my plan. Right? Right? This is not the type of foreknowledge that we're talking about and that Peter's trying to tell us about. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Definite plan, foreknowledge of God. God is running the show. Pentecost is real. The Holy Spirit is working. And Jesus being crucified was for you and I. It was a gift for you and I in our salvation. So let's stay away from this balcony view. Not that simple, though. A little disclosure. I don't have God's mind. I don't know if you do. I don't. So I don't know everything about foreknowledge. I leave that to God, and I have faith that he has a plan in that. I think Jesus is telling us that God had a plan with Christ crucified. So, point being, and where Peter's going with this entire dialogue, for thousands of years, the Jews prayed for a Messiah. God gave them the Messiah. Miracles, works, signs, wonders. This is the Messiah, the teachings. They handed him over to lawless men to be crucified. This is proof that Jesus died. They knew who he was because they killed him. This is a proof that they know Jesus of Nazareth because they're the ones that handed him over to be crucified. And so this is the proof that Pentecost is real. And these people are not drunk. They aren't coming home from a night out. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning and Pentecost is real. Verses 24 through 36, i got to tell you, get a little bit sticky. Basically what happens in here is Peter is talking about, he proclaims that this is the Jesus that God raised up. And Terry Lynn, we have verse 24. And you can read it with me. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him 
to be held by it. God raised him up. In Terry Lynn, verse 32. You know what it's like back there. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. If you guys go in and spend some time with the scripture, take a look at the Psalms that Peter uses. And he basically uses the Devotic Psalms to show that David was a prophet, and he's telling us through these Psalms that he will have a king in his lineage that will take over. It gets a little bit tedious, but that's essentially why he's using these Psalms as an example. And in the end, this Jesus that God raised up, and we were all witnesses, meaning the disciples all witnessed the ascension of Christ. And through that, David says that he's going to sit at the right hand of God and then deliver the Holy Spirit to man. Pentecost is real. The Holy Spirit is real. So, we go into the closing of the sermon. And this is where it gets really fun. Invitation and response. Peter's sermon convinces the listeners that Jesus is their Messiah. And in verse 37, we see that evidence. Uh, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? No longer, who's this guy Jesus? Where is he? Where where did he come from? We don't know who you're talking about. Brothers, what shall we do? This is a question of conviction. Conviction of sin. Brothers, what shall we do? Simple illustration. Shortly after Edie and I moved to Colorado, I still had some things up in Montana to go retrieve. We loaded up a pickup truck, borrowed my cousin's trailer, Started heading towards, uh, towards Montana. Um, what, what man would fill up their truck with gas when there's a quarter tank of gas and there's a nice gas station right there in Grand Junction before you head out into the desert? What he-man would do that? We can make it to Moab, right, to get gas. We get out on the desert plain and there we're bucking a headwind, pulling a heavy trailer. The gas gauge starts going down. Truck dies 10 miles from the gas station. The question wasn't, maybe the tires are out of gas, or out of, out of air. Maybe we lost a belt. Maybe the battery's dead. Maybe the trailer fell off. The question was, how do we get gas? Convicted, we were out of gas. Okay, Same thing here. What shall we do? We, we know who he is. What shall we do? Peter says, what does he say? He says, repent and be baptized. Repent. Change. Turn away from yourselves. Turn towards God. Repent and be baptized. Be baptized. Tell other people about your faith through your actions. Show people that you're willing to follow the Holy Spirit. Outwardly acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. In verse 41, Terry Lynn. So those who received his word were baptized, 
And there were added that day 3,000 souls. Conclusion, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit allows us to do three things. Speak the truth. Hold on to the truth. Live as Christian examples. Speak the truth as Peter did. Plain and simple. This is the gospel message, you guys. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus has delivered the Holy Spirit for your empowerment and your saving. When the Jews said that the people were speaking in tongues and were drunk, Peter was empowered to deliver the first gospel message and the Holy Spirit empowered him to do so. The Holy Spirit will allow us to hold on to the gospel truth in adversity. When people tell you you're crazy or you're drunk, when you tell them that you love Jesus, and the Holy, the Holy Spirit will empower you to hold on to your faith and defend His glorious plan. Lastly, the Holy Spirit will empower us to live our lives as Christian examples. We're witnesses, people. We're witnesses. And a witness is nothing more than simple people who know telling people who don't know. You don't have to be a scholar to be a witness. What God's made possible through the death, resurrection, ascension of His Son, Jesus. Through faith in the gospel truth, we will begin to look for the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives and want to join Him in that work. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to apply God's wisdom and biblical principles to our lives and live as examples so that we achieve our goal as a church to have people watch what we're doing, be amazed, and look for answers. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. May we allow him total control over our lives so that our behavior as individuals family members, and participants in the body of Christ be everything God wants to show a needy world. In Jesus' name we pray for all of these things. Amen. Go out and be blessed in the Holy Spirit today.